Hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks Podcast. I am your host, Ben Kreider, and today we are going to be talking about the Bulls game on Wednesday, some of the best players in that game, as well as some who may have disappointed a bit, as well as a uh, a duo that is on the horizon for the Thunder. And then to cap things off, um, just a little bit on the James Harden situation because things have changed. First off, um, Wednesday's game against the Bulls, it was Billy Donovan and Mo Cheek's return game. As we all know, they have been with the Thunder since 2015, um, ever since they replaced Scott Brooks. Both Billy Donovan and Mo Cheeks came in the same time. Honestly, I thought um, Mo Cheeks may have been there a bit longer than Donovan, but nope. Both came in in 2015, were with us for five years. And then Donovan got signed to be with the Bulls, I believe, in... September or October, one of the two, and then Mochiks followed a couple weeks after that. So yeah, they came back. They showed that um, they're coaching a pretty good team in Chicago. They uh, they beat us 124 to 103 out the gate. Zach Levine for the Bulls, he was on fire. 16 points in the first quarter. All these points were pretty much on Lou Dort. These were penetrations. He was pulling it from three. I think he had a mid-range pull-up in there somewhere. Absolutely killed Dort. Um, Dort really struggled in this game. Like, I had, like, Levine versus Dort as a key matchup on my um, my site, my blog that I've been doing, Kyle Singler for MVP.com. You guys should check it out. But, um, yeah, I had that as my key matchup. I thought that Levine was just a completely different animal than James Harden because... As we know, Harden's like one of the best players when it comes to penetrating, but he's just not as fast or as athletic as Levine is. Levine really just exposed Dort. He was doing anything he wanted to. Whenever Dort was sagging off on him, he would pull it. When he played up, Levine just has such a quick first step. I mean, even Dort can't keep up with him. Levine has really improved as a player. Um, but yeah, just his skill set is ridiculous. And... It really came through for him. Uh, caught fire. He really didn't even have to play past that. He did his job. Dort, on the other hand, bad on defense. Really bad on offense as well. I think he was like 0 for 7. I'm going to be talking about him a little bit later in my next point on who played well, who didn't. You might be able to tell where I had him. But, yeah. So that happened. In the first, though, I mean, with Levine dropping 16, you may be thinking out the jump they just won this thing okc kind of put up a bit of a fight like sga also had 12 points of his own in the first quarter so what seemed like would be like a double digit lead like watching it i thought that the bulls i thought that the bulls were killing us but nah it was only a four point lead for them going into the second but going like in the second they just completely blew this game open um, I believe at one point they got on some sort of run. I, I think they were up like 13 in, um, in the second. The Thunder fought back, um, and were able to close that gap down. But like in the final three minutes of, uh, the second quarter, quarter, the Bulls were on an 18 to 6 run. 
So the Bulls had a 13-point lead heading into halftime. They expanded it by 9 points. And just in that second half, they kept control. I mean, we never had the lead past, like, 6 minutes. I think 6 minutes in the first quarter was, like, the latest we had a lead. We just never were able to get back into it. And in the second half, they were up by, like, 25 at some points in the game. I think it got as big as 27. And Kobe White... um the sophomore for them he was coming off the bench last year I think he kind of proved that uh, he can be a starter he scored 14 straight points for the Bulls in the third quarter and there was like nothing we could do about it he was locked in he got some super lucky bounces I think um he shot it from like the wing it it routed around the rim like five times hits the top of the backboard and it somehow went in again like I don't know. He was on fire. We really could not do much about it. I will say, um, this was like a really good learning opportunity for the Thunder, though, even though we did not get the result that we wanted. We only played 13 people um, in Wednesday's game, but 12 of them played 10-plus minutes. And I believe the one person who did not get 10-plus minutes, it was either Admiral Schofield or Moses Brown, I'd like to say it was Admiral Schofield, but he had like eight minutes, so there was an even spread of of minutes around the whole entire team. But yeah, um, even though we, we didn't get the result, I think that there was a lot to learn from this. So just going into who I thought were the best and who I thought were the worst, I mean, I really don't want to say worst, but some people who I thought they should have done a bit better than what they did. Um... Started off on, like, who I thought was the best of the best. I mean, the bright spots of the team. Frank Jackson, again, um, I was praising him in the last podcast. I said that inconsistency has, like, always been an issue with him. And, I mean, you never can be sure what kind of what kind of player you're getting uh, every game with him. But in his two games, he's played really nice. I mean, he even improved. He had 14 points. In um, Saturday's game, grew to 15. Maybe he gets 16 on Friday's game. You never know. He dropped 15 points on 6-9 shooting. He had two rebounds and an assist. Doing it all on offense again. Three-level scoring. Um, He went like three for four on threes in this past game. I think that was a bit more than what he made um, in Saturday's. But yeah, he was letting it fly from deep. He had like a, fi- a 16-foot jumper that he also hit. And then inside, I mean, he had no issues driving in. He was like 2 of 4, I think, inside there. So he got he got 4 points. Just a really even spread. And, um, yeah, the second, the second player that I want to talk about, Moses Brown. Now, that might be a little – that might be a name that might be unfamiliar to some people, and I totally get it. He is a two-way player for us. He actually played in Saturday's game, but it was like so, it was such a small appearance. You probably didn't even remember he played. He only played three minutes, and the only play of note, Teo Maladon had a great, like, this is a pick and roll. Brown set a screen up top. Maladon played it so well, drives to the middle, has a perfect dump off pass to Moses Brown. He gets it. And I think he like botched up the layup or something. It was it was not good. He was a little bit pissed off running back down the court, it looked like. 
and there's a good reason why he missed a chip shot layup and uh that was the highlight of his game really he had like a rebound but rebound and then 0-1 from the field that was all from him so expectation with brown like I didn't think he was going to do that well, but he uh, he really proved me wrong as well as anyone else who wasn't thinking too highly of him. He actually didn't play that well, like, in his first couple of minutes. He uh, he had two free throws, went 0-2 there, and then he also missed a layup just in that first minute of him playing. But right after that, he elevated his game. So much, he was 5 of 5 from the field. He got to the free throw line a couple times. He went 2 for 3 there. So you can't be complaining about that. Ended up um, with 12 points, 2 boards, and an assist in only 10 minutes. So that's really good on him. I don't know what kind of role we should expect from him on Friday. Like Even though he was so efficient, when you're dropping 12 points in 10 minutes... Um, I think his roster spot really, since he's on a two-way contract, he's not really fighting for anything. Um, there's some dudes that are going to be fighting for something in our next preseason game, our last preseason game. They need to make some statements, um, and, uh, prove why they deserve one of the 15 spots on the team. I don't know exactly what TJ Leaf's status is, but he didn't even play, um, in Wednesday's game I don't know if that means he's safe or not personally I don't I'm not in love with him so I expect to see TJ Leaf playing a ton on the court I expect to see guys like Admiral Schofield playing a lot on the court those are just some some of note that we might be seeing out there but yeah I just don't know even though Moses Brown was killing it if he's going to have have much more of a role cuz he's not fighting for anything um in Friday's game. Now the last dude that I thought played like really really well, Al Horford. Um going into his debut game, I didn't know what to expect from him. I mean, I've seen him in Philly. Really the only thing we've heard about Al Horford this past like these past 6 months is how bad of a contract he has. Like we haven't even heard what he's good at and all that. Um He's good at about everything. 15 points, 7 boards, and an assist um, just in 15 minutes. He didn't have to play at all in the second half. He even um, was the player of the game on the Thunder broadcast, which I thought that was pretty funny since he like hardly played. But hey, um, he deserved it because he did. He did have like the best stats. He uh, tied, um, tied for team leader in points along with Frank Jackson, so... Yeah, really, um, the thing that I saw with Horford, he's he's 34 years old, right? So the mobility is just not there. Um, you want to see more with with that uh, when you're thinking of like a starting center. But I mean, I shouldn't be I shouldn't be nitpicking nitpicking him because he killed it. Um, he was even hitting threes. He had a couple um, threes where he was just way off, super short. I was like watching him, like, "Oh my god, are you kidding me?" Um, he got it. He got it back together though. He's two or four from there. With Horford, um, I mean, he's gonna be the the starter indefinitely until we figure out what's up with him. But 
he's 34 years old. He doesn't fit the timeline exactly, so we're going to be seeing a lot of Horford. <laughs> but there may be, there may be a, a scenario where he gets flipped and we don't really get a center in return. Who's filling that gap? Moses Brown might be getting the call up. He might be playing 30 minutes a game. I don't know. Some dudes from the game that I thought were like, they played decent. Like they weren't. I I wasn't looking at them like, oh my gosh, they are they're doing so well today. Um, there was a couple. I had Teo Maladon, Darius Baisley, Poku, SGA, and Roby. Now with Teo, um, if you were really expecting him to be dropping like twenty points, um, a game, like if you thought he was gonna have the same exact performance that he did on Saturday. You're, you're a little bit crazy. You got to lower the expectations down a bit since, I mean, he only played one game, right? But um, I think he probably would have if they put him in the same role they did on Saturday. He was put in a way different role um, in Wednesday's game, yet he still put up 11 points, four rebounds, and two assists. In terms of shooting, it wasn't pretty. He was three of nine for the field. But, um... If you just look back at the tape, it's kind of understandable. His role on uh, in Saturday's game, like he was the primary ball handler in that second unit. In this game, he was the secondary ball handler the whole time. Um, Frank Jackson was the main ball handler in that second unit. Um, and then whenever he was playing with some of the starters, I don't even think, I don't know if Diallo was starting um, in in the game with the Bulls, but whenever Diallo was on the court with him, Diallo was trying to run the show. Like he, uh, he was, he was just trying to be a floor general. He was going crazy. Um, shot one for eight, and it is pretty obvious where, uh, where I have him stacked. It was not good at all for him. Diallo was driving in, trying to ISO up the whole entire time. And you got guys like Maladon just sitting out there for three. I mean, Maladon can shoot the three ball, so it's not a huge issue. When he's open, he's open and he will hit it. But his role is playing in the pick and roll. He needs to be a ball handler. And Diallo was not doing that for him. Jackson was not doing that for him. Jackson was actually killing it, but Diallo was not killing it whatsoever. So Maladon was either spotting up and shooting or in the times that he did get the ball for pick and rolls, there was like 14 to 12 seconds left. So he was like the last resort. If they, if Diallo didn't see anything happening, just dump it off to Maladon, see what happens. Either the, the pick and roll worked, or he had to jack up something crazy. So I'm really giving him a pass on that 3 for 9 shooting. I don't get why exactly his role got shrunken down um he needs to be the ball handler in the second unit i think the coaches have got to look back on that one and uh kind of realize that i mean there was a serious dip in his production but whatever darius Baisley, the hype surrounding him entering this game uh really really high i mean i've seen people stating they that they think he could be in the running for most improved player. That's not really that crazy, but like 16 and 8 points, or 16 points, 8 rebounds, my bad. That would be like a projected stat line. He was like, he was a little bit below that standard, depending on how many minutes 
you'd think he'd be playing this year. But yeah, he had seven points, two rebounds, and two assists in 19 minutes. The role that people wanted him to see was like ball handling. And he did get a couple opportunities, but he really was in the same exact role as he was in that Houston series. Just a spot-up shooter who occasionally got the ball to create for himself. Was not bad at it. Um, he just didn't dominate. So I I couldn't really mark him up as like, you know, doing extremely well. I think he he played he played solid for for what his role was. I mean, he he hit a three, I believe, and then he was able to drive in a couple times and then kicked it out a bit. the The thing that I wanted to key in on with Baisley though in the game was how was he going to stack up against these Chicago Bulls defenders? That was another thing that I had on my game preview. Um. Like I said, definitely check that out. Kyle Singler for MVP.com. But yeah, that's the one thing that uh, I also was talking about on there. He just played solid. I mean, he really he really wasn't flashing. like It wasn't like I was watching like, oh my gosh, he's playing such good defense on these guys. Just It was just decent. Like, I don't know. He did, he did okay. Uh, it was obvious that these bigger um, Chicago Bulls forwards just like out muscling him a bit, but he held his own at times. So it's one of those things where I can't really knock him for it. In terms of uh, some of these other guys, Poku, he was letting it fly. I think he went like two for 11 in the whole entire game. He shot it like damn near from the logo like no hesitation he gets the ball off the catch and shoot and just lets that thing fly there are a lot of just catch and shoots where he he grabs it and then if you blink your eye he the ball's already up in the air he's flicking that thing so fast got some line drives touch was not there but i mean i'm propping him up on here because even though the percentages sucked i love seeing him shoot the ball um that's how you're going to get better. I mean, practice makes perfect, I guess, shoot. So, good on him for, for shooting it 11 times. SGA uh, had that really good first quarter and then kind of just fizzled back down. I don't know if he really had that many minutes. He did what he had to. Um, it was a lot better than his first game. I'll give him that. Isaiah Roby is a dude that I do want to talk about now. He... um. He played extremely well in Saturday's game. He was a great screen setter for Maladon. In this game, he really wasn't given the exact same um, group of guys to be playing with. His role went from like power forward center in Saturday to him primarily being like a small forward. And that is not the role that Roby should be having. Roby actually has been shooting the ball well. I think he's three for three on three balls. But it's not like he wants to shoot the ball. Like, when he shot threes, the confidence isn't there. Like, he hesitates every time. He was open way more than three times from the three. And he kept passing it up, whether it's he steps in, tries to shoot it, dishes it. It doesn't matter. He just doesn't really have the confidence in his shot yet. If he can establish that, by all means, play him at small forward. But his bread and butter is um, is definitely in the pick and roll. He's good inside. He's athletic enough. I like him as a power forward personally, just due to him not having that three. Um, he's like six nine. The weight, I'm not sure about the weight. He needs to get that up. 
maybe, but I like him as a power forward. I think he has some good defensive skills, decent perimeter defense, decent interior defense. He was getting bullied a couple times in the paint, but I'd probably compare Roby's performance um, guarding these bigs on the same level as Baisley, so it's not that bad. I just, I just like to see him at power forward. He wasn't given a real opportunity to play well in this game, and I forgot exactly what the numbers were, but significant decline from Saturday. Now, the players who just kind of stunk it up, really. Lou Dort, first one. I already covered um, how I was talking about him and Levine being a key matchup. Levine just outplayed him the whole time. Um, defensively, Dort was not there. On offense, Dort was not there either. As I said, 0 for 7. I think he went 0 for 4 from beyond the arc. I will say, if there is a little bit of, um, positives from that, it's, uh, he was not afraid to shoot it from 3. In that Houston series, he clearly had some issues wanting to shoot it. They were daring him to shoot the ball in the Houston series. He was shooting it, and he just couldn't find the bottom of the rim. Really same story again. The Bulls were letting him shoot the ball, and even though it went over 4, there wasn't a single time where he second-guessed himself. He just immediately shot it. So there's there's some positives to get um, from Dort's game. Someone who really... I'm having a hard time getting some positives. Justin Jackson, he kind of just struggled to find any sort of rhythm in the game. He went 3 for 11. Whenever Jackson entered, it was all about trying to make an impact on offense. And he gets the ball. He kept driving in um, and trying to shoot some floaters. I'm not sure how many he ended up shooting. I think it was like four. And he might have made one, but all the rest fell flat every time um I mean they were using him I believe at the three as well as the four I like him at the four um he's extremely so for a three and just the way he was playing was so weird like I don't want to see Justin Jackson getting the ball at the three-point line driving in and (laughs) trying to shoot a floater over a guy like he doesn't have the athletic ability to do that. He doesn't he didn't have the touch. Um so I don't know. I, I just didn't like the way he was playing. I think he's more of a stretch four. And he was making he made like a three or two, I think. So I think he should have been pulled aside and they should told him they should have told him, Hey, spot up, we'll get you open. I don't want to see you shooting any more floaters, bro. They didn't do that, so he was he was shooting a ton of floaters. Didn't love it. I don't like him playing small forward. He's not fast enough. Stick him at the four. think a lot of those issues get resolved, and Justin Jackson will be a much better player for us. Just that, that debut, maybe he was a little bit of nerves. He could come back and, you know, score 30 points, and all of them are flo- floaters, and I look like an idiot, but I don't know. I just I just don't really see a lot of potential with uh, – his his game on runners and floaters but yeah last dude i really want to talk about diallo and i already was talking about how he shot one for eight he was just playing so weird he was so overconfident he went seven of 14 in saturday's game um so he was doing really good on saturday 
He kept that he kept that confidence into Wednesday, and you can't knock him for it. Um, but when you're shooting one for eight, my man, it becomes a bit of an issue. He should have known um, that he needed to dish the ball off. Like when he's in the zone, and he is killing you on the ISO. I want everyone to just give Diallo the ball and put his man on an island because he has done that before. One of the things, though, that has happened, and it happened in this Bulls game, he will not be playing well, but he will still try to run in isolation and did it eight times, only had one good result on it. So he should have played it a little bit smarter. I think he was all over the place in the game. But, yeah, some players that I wanted to talk about, um, they just really didn't play a ton. Admiral Schofield and Kenrich Williams. I will say, Kenrich Williams, he is an absolute sharpshooter. I do like him in some of these lineups that were thrown out in these past couple preseason games. And uh, I will be going into that in my next point. He's kind of indirectly related to it, but, you know, had to segue in there. I want to talk about um, what I think is a potential dynamic duo going on uh, with the team. Now, in one of my posts, I did a... um, Actually, I really just broke it down. I told you guys kind of what I thought about each player. Um, It's titled Game Grades on my site. But yeah, I had, um, as I was telling you, Maladon and Roby were kind of just in that like... They did okay for their role thing. But um, they really, whenever Roby and Maladon are together, they are kind of like a dynamic duo. Um, in In these two games, whenever they're paired together, they go from being okay to being very, very good. Now, um, in these past couple games... I think Maladon number one, Maladon, when we're just talking about him, he's played he's played well both games, no matter the role. With Roby, it's a tad bit different. His skill set's a little bit more limited, and that leads to him being thrown in the small forward role, like I was saying, and him being uh, relied on to jack up some really crazy shots that he's just not um, he's just not used to. But um, whenever these two guys uh, end up being together, they make the opposing defenses pay. I uh, broke down the film of both games, and what I will tell you may open some of your guys' eyes. Now, Maladon in the first preseason game against the Spurs, uh, he accounted for 26 points. Now, of those 26 points... Um, I believe he accounted, uh, of those accounted for on Roby screens, it was 14. Now, if we check what, um, if we go back and check, oh, sorry, by the way, it's 12 points, not, uh, not 14. If we go check, uh, what kind of percentage that is, 46 of the points Maladon was accounted for came off of these Roby screens, and in his second preseason game, Maladon accounted for 16 points, and seven of those um, points are credited to Roby 
setting some screens. And um, that's 44%. So in total, 45% of the uh, points Maladon has been accounted for came directly off an Isaiah Roby screen. Now, um, really, it's all situational on how this works. I think a lineup needs to be dedicated to this Maladon Roby pick and roll because it seriously has been deadly and it's been one of our best lineups thus far in the preseason. The biggest deal, you need to make sure your lineup is small ball. In Saturday's game, we didn't have Al Horford. Um, we didn't see a lot from Moses Brown. Really, the bigs were um, Isaiah Roby, Leaf played a bit there, and then Muscala played a bit there. And Roby even did the opening tip-off. Like, he was playing center for serious minutes as well as power forward. He didn't even touch the three, and he needs to stay that way. I think um, a lineup structured to Roby being at the 4 or 5 would be perfect. And I think that, really, the only times that Roby should be playing at the 4 when you're when you're running a Maladon-Roby lineup is if Mike Muscala is running the 5 because you need a shooter for the way they play. The way they play, it's really just an isolation. Um, there's a screen set up top, Maladon... He'll drive in. If he has the option to kick it to Roby, he'll he'll kick it to Roby. If not, and he has some sort of like shot, he'll take it. You need shooters. You need three shooters around them because an issue that will happen is if, let's just say hypothetically, there's a perfect screen. Maladon has a two-on-one situation going to the, the basket. If a defender... um wants to go go play help defense and let's just say Diallo Diallo's in the corner his defender he honestly should be helping out every single time because as of now Diallo is a 25% three-point shooter I was shocked whenever I researched and found that out but it is true folks he's only a 25% three-point shooter if that lineup happens where you have Roby um Maladon and Diallo together you just simply can't you can't run like this you can't be doing pick and rolls over and over again because just it's such a disadvantage and it really takes away um what you have there if you don't have shooters surrounding them a lineup that we have seen and we saw this in Wednesday's game Maladon was the point Frank Jackson was the shooting guard Kenrich Williams was that small forward that's how I uh, hooked him in this thing. Poku at the four, and then Roby at the five. That's an ultra small ball lineup. Poku's the the tallest dude, but he's uh he's barely he's barely over two hundred pounds right now, so he really is not your center. Roby's the center. Those three guys and Frank Jackson, Kenrich Williams, and Poku are shooters. Um, in terms of consistency with Poku, we don't know where it's at yet. Um, as well as Jackson, I mean. He's not been consistent throughout his career. But yeah, Williams is a, he makes his name shooting the ball. Jackson really has. And seems like Poku's relying a lot on that shot as well. So those are three dudes that I love surrounding them. Because if anyone tries to help, someone's going to have an open look. And all three of those guys can shoot. Jackson can shoot. Williams can shoot. And Poku can shoot. So 
if they end up missing the shot, it's whatever. Honestly, uh, it's worth the risk because I like, I really like, if they're wide open, I really like our chances. And, um, there were three times actually in these past two games that Roby set a screen up top for Maladon. He drives in. There's some help defense coming from the corner. Someone gets stuck ball watching. Happens to be Frank Jackson's man. Frank Jackson's in the corner. Maladon immediately sees that his defender is creeping down inside. Jump pass, normal pass, don't matter. He's hitting Frank Jackson. That's three points. He's three of three from there in those situations. And it really, if you want to swap it out, if you want to say, per se, Poku's in the corner, Williams is in the corner, it's going to go in. So it it's really not that big of an issue. You just need to surround these guys with shooters, and you should be all right. If you cram in some guys who can't shoot, you limit it a lot. And if you throw in a center like an Al Horford, who he actually has been a good uh, three-point shooter in his career, but his jump shot is just so slow, I feel like defenses could easily um, rotate onto him if you spot him up in the corner. So, And then if you put him from up top, they're, uh, they may just say, they may just risk it and play help defense and you see where it goes from there. But yeah, I think Horford's a little bit too slow when it comes to release for him to work in this lineup. And then TJ Leaf kind of coined as a stretch for, um, I'm not buying it just yet. We have seen, um, we have seen people be coined as stretch fours before they play for us. A good example, Patrick Patterson. I will tell you guys right now, he is not a stretch four. I don't know who came up with that. He played good in Sacramento, Houston, Toronto. Sure. Definitely not a stretch four with us. You can call TJ Leaf a stretch four right now, but I'm going to need to see him um, produce before I'm like, okay, I'm confident with him in this lineup because you need the best of the best shooters in this lineup. Because um, really... What what it comes down to is Roby can't shoot the three ball and you can't have anybody inside because Roby's the roller. So Roby, he's a lot faster than these centers are. Um if you if you put big guys in there, it you lose that advantage every time you do that because power forwards are faster and more athletic. Small forwards, it just straight up wouldn't work because I mean that's the position Roby naturally is, so they kind of even it out there. You need to have a center on Roby or at the bare minimum a power forward. So that's the thing. If you have Maladon and Roby together, it's going to create a lot of uh, problems for the other team. That's a firepower um, group off the bench. Maladon, um, Roby, and then three shooters. Hopefully uh, they experiment with it some more as well um, as experiment with, with it in the regular season. I don't really know what Roby's status is in terms of if he's like uh, on the sort of like chopping block. Like, could he be cut? I don't think so. I think he's shown. Uh, he's really just proved himself. I think that's a better word. He's proved himself in these past two games with uh, with Maladon, and he elevates his play when he's on the court. And Teo also improves his. That's a great duo you have right there, and I'm really excited to see what comes with that now you need to take what i'm saying with a little bit of grain of salt because it is only two preseason games but look when maladon's 
points 45 of 45 percent of his points are coming off of these screens it shows you how much of a difference it makes because maladon has had other people set screens for him and he has played in other roles but it just hasn't worked as well as roby um as as roby setting screens has for him elevated the offense a ton really hope to see them continue that now the last point that i do want to talk about not thunder related but it kind it kind of relates to thunder james harden i've had so many tiny tidbits about the harden situation there's some more spicy news coming in now um there's just been a lot of like random reports going on these past i'd say two days there was a rumor going around that the 76ers were making Ben Simmons tradable in deals. But like just yesterday, Daryl Morey kind of shot down those claims and was like, that's not true. So we've seen people deny claims and like they end up, you know, being true. So could the sources just be lying and uh, Morey's telling the truth or is Morey lying and they actually want to get rid of Simmons? I'm not too sure. Now, another report that was going on, the Miami Heat, um, they would not trade Duncan Robinson in a trade for James Harden. We've heard we heard this situation before, and uh, actually last year, whenever the CP3 deals, the, yeah, the CP3 deals were going on, the rumor online was that the Miami Heat were not willing to give up Tyler Hero for Chris Paul and that ended up being a pretty smart decision by them because in a trade for Harden the centerpiece would probably end up being Tyler Hero it'd be Hero a ton of picks Robinson is what the Rockets want um the Heat just aren't for that so maybe they're being smart not not wanting to let Robinson go uh he's one of the best sharpshooters in the league best uh one of the best role players really coming off the bench expect him to shoot threes he'll He'll catch and fire uh, in split seconds. So Duncan Duncan Robinson's really good. From the 76ers perspective, though, if you have the chance, or not the 76ers, my my bad, the Heat's perspective, if you have the chance to get James Harden and the thing that is preventing it is trading Duncan Robinson, I get that Duncan Robinson is really good, but James Harden is... uh, He's also really good too. I mean, he's one of the best in the NBA. So I understand this whole teammate chemistry thing, and I understand Robinson is very good, and Hero is very good. I mean, you have to throw on both of them. But James Harden, he's like top ten player in the NBA. So I don't know. And then for the Rockets, do they really need Duncan Robinson? I don't know how old he is. He's like twenty six or twenty seven. I'd like to say he doesn't fit their timeline. Since if they're moving Harden. Seems like a complete rebuild to me, but I think what they'd be doing is just play him a ton at the starting shooting guard or small forward, jack up that trade value, milk another pick or two out. Um, I think he's probably on a rookie-scale contract. It can't be anything that serious, so teams will be drooling over him at the trade deadline. guess that's what makes him such a valuable asset, but yeah. Now, um, just one more thing on the trade scenario or the trade situation and this is something that as of now kind of is like confirmed it's that the rockets have expanded the list of trade options 
beyond the four original teams. And these four teams were the Bucks, the Heat, the 76ers, and the Nets. Now, just like as a GM not on that list, the first question I'd be asking is like, I mean, really, I guess this is a fan's question to a GM, but I mean, would would that team even want James Harden if he doesn't want to be there? We've seen how he's been acting these past couple months with the Rockets. He's got things together this past week. I'll give him that, but I don't know. Going to LA, doing whatever he's been doing, whenever you should be in training camp, not a good look. If you get traded to like the Pistons, now obviously that's not going to happen. But if you get thrown on the Pistons, you're not. Their intentions aren't really winning right now. He could very well be in Las Vegas again. So some of these GMs may be scared of the idea of trading their future away and Harden not even wanting to be there. Now, uh, would they even want to trade for him with uh, with uh, that situation occurring? I don't know. Maybe some teams would like the idea. With COVID going on, the profit margins are not as high, so that could turn people off. If you have like a money-hungry owner, um, maybe they'd love the idea of trading away everything for Harden, a couple years of Harden. Get a lot of get a lot of bucks from that, but with COVID, I don't know if that's that's even appealing to them with no ticket sales, but yeah. One team, I was trying to think of teams that are not in the top four list that might be able to do a deal. The one that I'm thinking of is the Denver Nuggets, and I keep going back to them. A package for with that, um, with the Nuggets, would look like Michael Porter Jr. and just a whole entire, the whole entire like five years of draft picks. So, given your future way as well as well as Michael Porter Jr., um, would Denver even want to do that? Like Porter Jr. was lighting it up in the bubble. Murray having Murray Harden and Jokic together would be amazing but I don't know if they'd be willing to give up all that stuff just for Harden when they were so so close to making um making the NBA finals last year I mean they came back from that 3-1 deficit faced the Los Angeles Lakers we know how that went but yeah I mean Denver already has a really good group if they want to elevate sure they uh they can trade for for Harden, but I don't know, man. I, if he's not on the list, I I wouldn't be pouncing at the idea of giving up so much stuff as well as Porter Jr. But uh, if I was the Rockets, or I guess I'm really just under the impression that I think they might be holding off on some deals for for just just the moment. The Rockets actually had a really good game on Thursday. Christian Wood went off. He had like 27 points in 20 minutes. Um, I know this is off topic, but I absolutely love Christian Wood. I uh, I got him in a keeper fantasy league like two years ago in my Stratomatic League when he hardly played in the NBA. I think it was after, yeah, after his Pelicans performance. Before this was before he was on the Pistons, I'll put it like that. I picked him up in my fantasy league. That was one of the best picks of my life. He's going to be starting over Laurie Markin this year, and I cannot be more happy for it because he's a beast. It looks like he's going to be a beast for the Rockets. Um, I I think he would be a very good pairing with Harden. Now, 
if Harden just really wants to get out the door and he's not for experimenting and he just he just doesn't care about being with them, I guess you really do have to trade him and you may want to press the issue now as opposed to midseason. Try to get as much value as you can before things get worse and the uh, the trade value dips. But I don't, I don't know, man. Personally, from the Rockets, I'd want to try to make things work because if they do end up trading Harden, they're not going to be in the same spot. I mean, right now, they're kind of a dark horse contender. Take Harden away. The aspirations of a championship are out the door, sadly, and they're not getting their first-round pick. We have their first-round pick unless it's uh, one through four. So they're giving up our they're giving up a first round pick, and that's gonna be a really valuable first. Could that uh could that turn them off from a deal? I don't know, man. Uh, I'll make sure to keep you guys updated on the Harden situation as always. But other than that, um, I really appreciate you guys listening to the podcast, and I will be talking to you guys later. See ya.